Hello, and welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk to the faces behind your books. I'm Nathan Van Koops, I'm your host. And tonight I am joined by international best-selling author who has sold over 4 million books, uh, author A.G. Riddle. Welcome to the show, Jerry. Thanks for having me. I am thrilled to have you on the show um, because you and I have been um, sort of on parallel paths, unbeknownst to you most likely, uh, for, for many years. Um, we're, we're similar age. I, am, I just turned 40 this year. I think you're probably somewhere around that mark, right? Yeah, I turned 41 this year. Yeah, okay. last month, actually. When did you graduate yeah. high school? Uh, 98. Me too. Okay. So but I, I failed two grades, though, so. Yeah. 98. <laughs> I wouldn't say anything about it. I would just, I'm just rolling through. If, you know, you do you. You know, whatever, whatever grades you want to. If you had a favorite grade you wanted to do over it a couple times, you know, who am I to judge? Mandatory. <laughs> Um, so anyway, so we both pulled out of high school in 98, but spent a good 10 years or more doing something else before, yeah. um, before getting into writing. But then somewhere around, I'm guessing 2010-ish, you got this idea in your head to start working on this, this story. Is that about right? Yeah. Somewhere in there? That's, yeah, that's right. And then in 2013, uh, you erupted onto the scene with, uh, with your first book. And um, it, it, you had an amazing, epic sort of novel right out of the gate. Um, so tell us a little bit about, but I've, I've listened to, to your podcast episodes before with other people, and the, I've heard a little bit about some of the influences you've had and um, you know Stephen King's on writing or um, some of the book references you've used and stuff. What else, what was it like right before um, your first book um, uh, came out. What was what was going through your head about becoming a, an author? Was this seeming like a real a real plan? No, it, and there was no real plan for me. I mean, I had worked on that book for two and a half years, and I, I would not recommend that to anyone. Like you know, two and a half years in isolation, and mm -hmm. and um, you know, no one had read it. Like for years in my. Yeah, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, I mean, she really, I think she thought maybe I was having some sort of early midlife crisis or she, she wasn't really sure. And then, you know, she finally read it and she, she told me, she was like, I was really relieved that this thing was okay. I mean, yeah. you know, she just thought back then this thing's, he's written this, it's not terrible and, you know, maybe he'll be okay about it. But I, you know, I think I was really nervous to release it because I'd been working on it for so long and, you know, this was March of 2013, so, you know, things were a lot different back then. You know, there were, there were really not as many books, and, and for what I was writing, like the Atlantis Gene, you know, is this sort of like, it's rich with science and history, and it's this techno-thriller, and they're really, you know, for $3.99 or $2.99 or whatever I was selling it for, there wasn't a ton of supply, and so it just, it really got a lot of um, visibility, and a lot of people liked it. I mean, so... Yeah, uh, it was very fortunate. But, you know, I did the cover. My mom edited that book. And, it, but, you know, things are completely different now. And, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was pretty it was pretty weird. I mean, releasing something you've been working on, yeah. I, I think that long is probably yeah. not healthy. Well, I had I had four years under mine. I, I've been tinkering around since <laughs> I think maybe more. I think 2008 or something. I started tinkering around with my, my novel before it finally made it out. 
So you just whipped, I mean, just boom, just popped it out. I mean, just like effortless. Right? I mean, of course, yes. Flowed out of you. Blood, sweat, tears. Yeah, I think, although interestingly enough, like in 2012 is where it really came together because I had another, I found another writer uh, or a couple of other writers who were also working on books. And that was the key to actually getting it done and getting it out the door. Yeah. Well, and, I uh, think that's great. That's totally healthy. Yes, exactly. Having someone else read it, you know, and, and think, okay, get that little bit of validation. Okay, this isn't, this isn't that. You got, you got something here. And yeah. uh, of course, you know, we were fortunate, you and I were both very fortunate to come on the scene right after Amazon had introduced, you know, publishing in this style. With Kindle had come on, online, you know, create space. These were options. Print on demand was an option now. Um, you did something which I think uh, had to have been a huge factor was that I think that the title, Atlantis Gene, is so perfectly um, targeted for your genre. And this, where did, did you know this when you first wrote that title or did you think it just sounded cool at the time? Like how much research went into that? Because I think that is dead on target for your genre. No question. I think that that title has helped the book immensely. And I think in general, I think titles that for that genre that allude to some sort of scientific mystery really are the wind at your back. Right. And, mm -hmm. and I think that Atlantis is something that just just has brand appeal right out of the gate like ag yeah. riddle you know march 2013 no one's ever heard of it mm -hmm. i had never heard of it a month before mm -hmm. we published the book or whatever so yeah. uh, you know i think atlantis gets you pretty far and i think anyone who's interested in you know genetic engineering and stuff like that it it's it sort of i think if you're releasing your first book or you're an early novelist um if if you can have that sort of curb appeal that messages to people, this is what this is. I think it really helps you a lot. Like, mm -hmm. you know, my most recent trilogy, Winter World, doesn't mean a ton, but I, I think it's an appropriate title that is more sort of representative of the work. But but I think, you know, The Atlantis Gene was, was the right title for the book. And, and obviously, I think for readers in their mind, I think, uh, you know, The Atlantis Gene um, is something that's talked about extensively in the book. So it's sticky. So when they talk, about the book to their friends, they can remember the title and they may not remember that it was A.G. Riddle, but they're like, yeah. oh, the Atlantis gene, you know, that's yeah. the last thing I read. And so I think that helped it a lot. And you have to look at, you know, obviously there were influences in your life. I know you've been compared to uh, Michael Crichton or, or Dan Brown in that genre. And if you think of a, about a title like The Enigma Strain or and Andromeda Strain, which one did Crichton write? Yeah. With Andromeda Strain? Andromeda Strain, yeah. Okay. That's a very similar title. Andromeda Strain, Atlantis Gene. I mean, same amount of like syllables. It, it just has the same feel to it. So, and there's so such an importance to that of people who are reading in that genre to see something that they psychologically or sub, maybe even subconsciously recognize as like, oh, this goes together. This is something similar. And um, yeah. I know you've, you've changed the cover since the original, right? And then... Um, who did did you find Demanza early on, or did you uh, go with someone else initially? Well, unfortunately, we're now looking at my first cover designer, and uh, so that does you know that cover design we uh, we got rid of a couple months in. Um, we hired a an artist from Mexico who did a really a great cover, did some art for it, and then and then the books came out in the UK. I think the the following year, and they. They did some amazing covers, and uh, my agent was suggested that we use those covers just to get some continuity and all that, and and so that's what we've been using since. And I, 
And actually my UK publisher, I have a print only deal in the UK and they now do my covers. Like Damanza did pandemic and genome. Actually, did they? They did departure and then for sure. They did departure for sure. And then the HarperCollins, when they bought departure, they did some tweaks to it. I'm not sure if they improved it or not, but, but Damanza has done you know great work for us over the mm -hmm. years. Yeah. Well, how soon um, after Atlantis Sheen came out did you start attracting attention? Did you pick up an agent relatively early on, or did you was that later on in the process? Well, it was that first year for sure. I mean, the, in the summer, in the book, the book really, you know, I was surprised at how well the book did. In the summer, I would get inquiries from agents, and um, yeah, so I had an agent within a few months, which I don't think is typical. And it's certainly not typical now, right? Like things were a lot different. Right. Man. And one of the things, and we can touch on it now, um, but one of the things that's interesting about your story, a lot of indies especially have this sort of idea in their head that once you do have this big bestseller and you start attracting agents and you start attracting uh, movie deal, movie options, things like that, like I know you've got for uh, Departure and for... Um, I think for your Atlanta series as well, right? Are those film rights optioned already? Yeah. yeah. So they, a lot of people think, okay, um, like in the case of Departure, HarperCollins decides to pick it up and say, okay, we're going to you know, acquire the rights to this property. A lot of people think that that's sort of a one-way street. You, you've made it this, this big. Why wouldn't you just keep rolling that way? But you have made a very deliberate decision to stay indie, to continue to publish your, your books indie, I'd love to hear from someone who's been up that mountain already and and continue to make the choice to, to be indie. What are some of the reasons why you choose to, to stay indie? Well, I think I think frankly it's a mindset thing. I mean, for me, I I came, you know, in college I started an internet company. I did that for ten years and and like running a business is something that I feel comfortable with and I actually far prefer. I mean, I don't think I would make a very good employee. I've ne never really been one, and um, I sort of know that about myself. And you know, when when we sold the movie rights for Departure, where they optioned them to to Fox, we or you know, Harper Collins acquired Departure and then you know republished it. And so I kind of got the traditional publishing experience, and it's just not for me. I mean, I I really enjoy. Um, the publishing process to some extent. I, I'm not sure I enjoy advertising as much as I used to, but, yeah. but I do, I do enjoy, you know, the cover art and, you know, making the decisions about how this book is going to be presented to the audience. And, and I really, I guess to some extent it's about controlling your own destiny. I mean, you, mm -hmm. I think there's more risk, perhaps, maybe not. Um, but, but I'll say it's for me. I mean, for my mindset, it's what, I think I'm able to stay sane, not that I'm entirely sane, but more able to stay sane indie than traditionally published. Yeah. I think there is something to be said, too, for creatively of having, you know, the ability to set your own schedule. Um, you and I don't publish super fast. I know um, you've got about nine books out now. Um, right. I'm in the same ballpark. We've been going at it for the same amount of years. So we're not rapid releasing um, which I know is a, a trend at the moment, but um, having that creative control over when you do publish, though, I think sometimes frees up some mental space for creating at the pace that you want to create and not necessarily yeah. being beholden to someone else's uh, publishing schedule, which um, yeah. 
Some people don't. Some people write really well the deadlines. I am not one of them. I realize <laughs> that life gets in the way. And, yeah. uh, but I was, uh, yeah, it was just something that, you know, because a lot of us as, as Indies have maybe never had, gone on that rocket ship ride that you've been on. Um, so it's interesting to get your perspective on that. I'm curious what other things, how has that early success changed you as a writer? Well, I think it's been you know, both positive and negative, right? I mean, it's like anything else. I, I think that knowing that people were reading those books was a huge encouragement to me to keep writing and to focus on it more. And I learned a lot. Like, you know, the Atlantis Gene, it's almost got 20,000 reviews now. And there's just a ton of feedback. And it, it can be a lot to sort through, um, but I think there's a lot uh, you can learn and, and a lot that I did learn, especially early. I also think... You know, if the book is widely read, I think you can't help but um, sort of think about the next release and expectations. And, and you know, as you're writing it, you know, well, gosh, here's a book that that a lot of people enjoyed, and you're writing something that that is a little different. Like, mm-hmm. you know, my fourth book after that Atlantis trilogy was called Departure because it really was a departure from what I had been writing. Like, I remember I was at the Frankfurt Book Fair um, meeting my international agents that had been selling. Um, Atlantis around the world and I, I had finished Departure and I told them, you know, I'm, I'm written this book about this this plane, this, some spoilers coming here, this flight that takes off in present day in, the, in New York and crash lands in England in the future and they're just like, this is nothing, you know, this is not, this is not what we need, we need more Atlantis type books, we need science and history and I'm just like, I think this, this is, and, and this is, by the way, as a standalone, there's like, that's, that's not a good idea. But, but, you know, the book obviously was, was successful. And, and I think, you know, it's sort of like, for me anyway, trying to manage my own, you know, feeling of, uh, you know, that I'm creating something fresh and interesting and, and something that I'm interested in writing, which is typically something different than I've been writing. And then, feeling that that readers are going to be okay with it but so expectations i think mm-hmm. um you know is a double-edged sword right? what are some things that you have learned that you've hit the mark correctly on uh you write um you know in a variety of genres and sometimes you you're in medical thrillers sometimes you're in, you know techno thriller um but you always have a very science-based approach i mean it's not necessarily hard science fiction but it's you know you get some real hard science in there while giving us an action adventure plot, um, what are some things that you have to, if, if say you're a new writer starting out now, wanting to write in this techno thriller genre or something adjacent, what are some what are some of the tropes that you absolutely have to get right? Well, you know that's a good question. I mean, I, to me, I think the question becomes, you know, what are the audience uh, boundaries, right? And I think there are a bunch of these. Like, I think you talk about hard science fiction, and you know, my books are not technically really hard science fiction like pandemic could be considered hard science fiction there's no aliens there's no fantasy type elements uh, so it's probably the closest of anything that i've written um but there are people that are just like atlantis for example some spoilers here it, it is about you know um ancient aliens and sort of the origins of the human race and, and some speculation there that some people are like i can't really suspend this belief here yeah. Um, but look, I, I, if you ask me what the, the essential ingredients are, I think it's a scientific mystery that the audience really wants to know the question. 
it really wants to know the answer to that question. And I mean, for Atlantis, it's like, um, you know, what are the true, what's the truth about human origins? You know, this big scientific mystery of, you know, um, 70,000 years ago, there were, you know, several human subspecies, I mean, Neanderthals and Denosovans and like all these uh, proto-humans that were really very similar to us. And now there's like none of them going on 8 billion of us. And there's like got to be a huge reason. And we've, we've, we've colonized the planet and created things that have never been created before. And what makes us different? And I think that's a scientific mystery that, that, that does have a broad appeal. So I think that would be the second thing is, you know, your, your mystery has got to have some sort of gravity to it that draws people in, right? Like if you can have all these scientific mysteries that no one is interested in <laughs> knowing the answer to, right? And right. so, yeah. and so I think you've got to try to trust your gut there. And, yeah. um, and then I think, you know, I think the books are fun. Like the books that I'm writing, uh, you know, they are, they have these elements eventually of post-apocalyptic and, um, but it's not, I, you know, the stuff I'm writing is not necessarily as heavy as like the road by, you know, McCarthy. I mean, it's just not, it's not quite like that. I, I think that has probably helped the books continue to sell during COVID. Right. And, and I've sort of often thought, I mean, you know, I told my wife when this pandemic hit, I was like, man, who in the world is going to want to read that book during a pandemic? Right. Like, you know, and, For readers or listeners who don't know, you have a book titled pandemic. That's, you know, you're serious. Yes. So, um, and, and pro tip, that's probably not what you should title your book because you're unable to advertise it. No one wants to see it in their Facebook feed. I mean, yeah. Also, they think, you know, this is being, you know, shown in a predatory manner. <laughs> this is the sort of feedback you'll get is insane. But but I think I, I can't remember what subject we were on, but I think it's, you know, how do you write a book in this genre that that appeals? And I, I do think that um having that scientific mystery that has some broad appeal. I, my books, I, I can't seem to write a book without a romantic subplot. I, I do like to see my characters fall in love and I, I think it adds some dimension to it. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of science fiction readers that just patently not interested in that. And, right. and I'm, you know, not necessarily interested in writing those books either. So, so I, I guess what I would say is that, you know, to me, I think you find the most success where you find the intersection of stuff you really are good at, enjoy, and and the and what the audience is is sort of looking for. And it's not always easy to to figure out any of that stuff, but yeah. it's trial and error. You know? It makes sense though, because I mean, you look at the, your genre contemporaries. Like if you look at a Robert Langdon book, you know, it's not going to be heavy on. If you look at you know Da Vinci Code, for example, it's not. It's not heavy on romance. It does have world-changing implications that will it touch on everyone. Like everyone can kind of get on board with the concept, the high concept of it, even though it deals with an individual character or a couple of characters running around having this adventure. And that sort of you know relates to what you're talking about, where you've got a global big picture scenario that everyone can kind of you know connect to on some level. As opposed to, like you said, one of these smaller scientific mysteries that may not impact my life at all. Um, that's an interesting. That's an interesting insight, and I think that's that's um, probably wise advice for people jumping into techno thrillers and um, getting to know their audience and what their audiences want. Were uh, who were your big influences starting out? Oh gosh, I mean, I read pretty much everything. I actually, I remember reading, you know. Uh, Wool by Hugh Howey, and that was like the first 
or I was reading a lot of books like Jay Allen's space opera books and a space opera is what, you know, I really enjoy reading and what, what I was actually reading a lot of back then. And I realized, well, these, these are self-published authors. You know, I could, I could conceivably try to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, certainly Dan Brown read you know, everything Crichton's, uh, written and, um, my new house, we're still actually, I'm living at my in-laws right now. We're in the process of moving in, but wish I had my, my books behind me, but gosh, you know, um, just about everything under the sun. But yeah, I mean, science fiction, I tend to actually have a pretty low bar. Like if I can, you know, <laughs> if it's got the sort of big ideas in it, uh, I, t- I typically go along. So, yeah. And I think that's important too. I mean, for readers in sci-fi in general, a lot of readers want some sort of concept, cool concept to buy into. And they'll go along for the ride. If the, you give them enough science that seems plausible enough, they'll, every reader has their bar of where they're like, nope, you jumped the shark. We're not, we're not on board <laughs> yeah. anymore. But they'll follow you along pretty far, which I've been surprised. You know? But they'll, yeah. they might rail against the fact that you have a romance before they'll rail against the fact that you've invented some contraption that couldn't physically exist. They'll be like, yeah, well, maybe it could. You know, and then, oh yeah, I yeah. that. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I, think it's, I think it's pretty funny. Um, out of curiosity, have your pandemic books sold during this um, crisis? You know, I'm very surprised, and they have. And we really like, you know, it's. It, I don't. I actually think AMS. Maybe we. Maybe they're running an AMS, but I know that we haven't been able to run them on AMG or lock screen campaigns mm-hmm. for good reason. Like I, yeah. I think that's valid. And just, I think out of, um, you know, it doesn't seem rational to run, you know, a Facebook ad on it. I mean, it doesn't. And so, but yeah, it, they've sold pretty well. I would lo- I should look up how they've done, but that book is, you know, it's three or four years old now. Do you feel but, people are going to be more judgmental about, uh, now that everyone's looked through, through a pandemic, they're going to have uh, a more critical eye through your pandemic books? Do you feel like there's things that you would have written differently now that you've actually lived through a pandemic? Yeah, probably. I mean, I think like, you know, the, the pan, the pathogen in pandemic, the novel is a, is a viral hemorrhagic fever that, that starts in rural Africa, which is, so I think the, um, the course of the outbreak has been a lot different, but I think the public reaction, like, I mean, like the, the toilet paper thing, never even in the realm of, thought yeah. in my mind like didn't even didn't see that coming um this debate about whether you should wear a face mask is something that i all just continue to not really understand very well right yeah so there's been some big surprises for me um yeah i know some people were, were going back and uh looking at the movie contagion uh that had you know come out and then pe- criticizing oh they're still shaking hands you can't shake hands now you know in the middle of a, a, a pandemic <laughs> You know, your characters are still shaking hands. Um, so I think it's, it's interesting that we've all now got this, this education we've received yeah. in, in, for better or for worse. Mostly for worse, I guess. But, for worse. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, one of the other things I, I was curious about, you have a, a stellar sales page for your books. I've noticed that you do, do a lot of things really well. You've got some great quotes. Um, I know I noticed on Departure you had... Uh, Diana Galbadon. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Is that correct? Do you know? Do you Gabaldon. Know you, Gabaldon. Gabaldon. Anyway, she she blurbed your book. Um, I saw there was some really great 
you know, logo info. Is that something the publisher's information side of your sales page? I mean, as an indie, do you do you have to get somebody on the inside with Amazon to get that? It's a good question. Um, so Deanna Gabaldon and I have the same agent. So don't okay. don't think my books are impressive or anything. He he was kind enough to ask her, and she was kind enough to read the book or or to provide a quote. So yeah. the so the pages you're talking about are what are called A plus pages, and you do them through Amazon Advantage. So mm. when when Atlantis got really popular, one of the things we did is print a bunch of books in bulk, and my dad uh, who owned uh, a sign company in the western part of North Carolina. Uh, he had a warehouse, and uh, he stored the books for me there and shipped them to Amazon. So we ship on pallets, and we continue to do this to this day. And like Amazon Advantage for us was a way to try to drive down the cost of print books because you know the you know Atlantis is like 132,000 words, so it's like 500 pages. So my paperbacks were what a 500 page print-on-demand paperback is going to cost them mm -hmm. $17.99 or whatever. Um, and so when we got in Amazon Advantage, it was really to drive down our our print book costs, but it came with the, these A-plus pages and then AMS that we didn't really realize at the time. It used to be that you had to pay $400 to do those A-plus pages, mm -hmm. um, but I think now it's somehow included in Amazon Advantage. Interesting. Um, I'll have to go browse around there. I, I managed to sneak my way into the Advantage program a while back, but they seem to be importing all the all the things that we ha have in Advantage. They start giving them to um, everyone now, anyway. So um, I know as far as like the yeah. sponsored brand ads and things like that are starting to be ported over to your regular ads dash. And they're always tinkering back behind the scenes back there, so you never know from from year to year what's going to be available. Yeah. Um, like lock screen ads and things like that that you know used to just be advantage only and now they're everywhere. Um, but anyway, I thought it looked really slick. I thought you have a very great you know presentation of your books. Um, so I, just, I, was just, I thought that would be an interesting question because because a lot of indies obviously can't get access to certain things that you know uh, people who have a little bit more access behind the scenes with Amazon have. I understand that your audiobooks are um, Audible exclusive. Is that correct? The last three, I, well, the last three uh, we sold to Recorded Books. Okay. Um, so they're published by Recorded Books. I don't know, I don't know what they've got going. And then all the books before that we did Audible. I guess Audible Studios published them. Okay. Yes, yeah, so I've never done ACX or anything. I don't, don't know a ton about that. Um. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I was just curious because I, I heard you mention that um, on a different different interview, and there are so many different options now. There's like Find a Way. There's you know, um, yeah. There, there's of course ACX, which has kind of been the, the standard for a lot of indies. But then there's also Podium now, and a lot of other people, you know, producing. So it's kind of a, an interesting landscape trying to navigate that uh, as an indie. I think audio is a huge opportunity, especially in science fiction fantasy. It feels like feels like audio continues to grow. Um, yeah. As you look back at the years that you've been published since 2013 and the changes that you've seen, um, what are some of the standouts that, that you've noticed along the way? And where do you, how, what are some ways that you've had to pivot along the way to, to stay relevant? I think that's a great question. I mean, the, it feels like, you know, back in 2013, you know, I wrote that book and my 
girlfriend put you know put it on Facebook and said you need to read my boyfriend's book and that was about the extent of the advertising and promotion that we did it just really wasn't a lot and and I just I wrote the books and I put them on Amazon and I really you know was a hundred percent focused on writing the books you know and 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 frankly that's probably when I was the happiest you know like now I mean I think I think we would all say that we're thankful for advertising because you, you sort of feel like you have more control over your destiny. And I, I think to some extent, like we were talking about earlier, that's what self-publishing is about. And that's sort of the reason. I think that's one of the most compelling reasons to do it, depending on what your goals are. Right. And and they may be to that. you This is the story you want to tell and you don't want it messed with. Or, or it might be that you do want to control your own destiny or it might be who knows what. Right. But. But I think advertising, without for me, without question, has been the biggest, um, the biggest change in a sense of this is now something I really need to focus on, and um, and is a big part of the job. I, I think to a certain extent, reader interaction and how to build community around your your books, and I think that's becoming a bigger thing, and it's something that I'm thinking a lot more about, and I. I've gone as far. I'm I'm not a very social person naturally, and so so that that's not something that necessarily um, is easy for me. But you know, I created a Facebook group, and I, I think I've had like two posts total, like, and it's been it's been in existence for about a year. But so I I think I've got to get better about that. But yeah. but I would say those to me those are the the two changes would be advertising and then you know, sort of how brand building and being more purposeful about having you know, good reader relationships and, and reaching, reaching out more. I know you are good about responding to reader emails and um, trying to interact with, with fans and, and people who are, are reaching out to connect with you. What's your um, mailing list strategy like? Did you have a mailing list right out of the gate when you first started, when you had the first uh, big hit, or was that something that you had to develop later on? Yeah, well, I actually... I guess um, I did my own website because obviously I, I had those skills and then it had, you know, the sign up thing. And, and I just it's a SQL database and the email goes in there and then I've got MailChimp. And I my email strategy is probably the strategy that no one should follow. Like the people go on the list. I email them when there's a new book and there's like a new book on average every 12 months. So they never hear from me. They get the email. They're like, who is AG Riddle? And delete, and delete it, probably. Or unsubscribe, right? It's like, yeah. I, I mean, that name vaguely sounds familiar. I read a book by him years ago. What's yeah. he, what? Yeah. So, yeah, that's my strategy, and don't do that. <laughs> okay, solid advice. Lessons learned. Um, <laughs> you have any other of those, any things that you wish you would have known before or like, you know, big blunders that, that, or things you thought might be successes. I'll pull, uh, one of my favorite podcasts is the wish I'd known then for writers podcast with, uh, Jamie Albright and Sarah Rosette. And they always ask this question, which is, you know, were there any things that you did that you thought were going to be big hits that didn't work out? Gosh, I mean, that's a, that's a good question. I, um, you know, obviously when I started, I, I did my own cover and my mom edited the book and I, you know, I don't think you can really get away with that anymore. Um, but I don't know. I, you know, nothing, um, I guess nothing really catastrophic. I mean, I'm still, I'm really proud of the books, um, I've written and, um, yeah, it's, 
I think it's for me probably, you know, on the advertising side, there's like things I look back on now, like, God, you know, that was a real waste of time or a waste of money or, but, you know, I think, I think that frankly is part of the, I guess the joy and agony of advertising is it's this experimental process where you say, this is my hypothesis. I'm going to design a test get some data and draw conclusions. And we're paying for an education, just like you would if you were going to get a a degree at some sort of university. If we're we're getting our degree in in indie publishing, then there's going to be some costs along the way. There's some sunk costs. Sometimes you just have to throw some money uh, in the fire. It's a very expensive education. (laughs) I went to a public college, UNC Chapel Hill, and it was far, far cheaper. I mean, I guess I didn't, maybe I didn't learn anything useful, but I don't know. Um, so, so the flip side of that question usually is like, where is there anything that, um, surprised you? Any su- surprise successes you had? Well, obviously the first one had to have been a little bit of a, um, you know, a, a fun surprise having your first book take off right at the gate. Were there any other really, uh, pleasant surprises along the way? Uh, yeah, I was very surprised at the success of the fourth book. I mean, and I was worried about it. Like, you know, when the agents were hitting me with, you know, this is nothing like this is a terrible idea. I, I really I really still believed in the book, but I didn't I knew that it wouldn't have the kind of appeal that Atlantis did. I mean, it didn't didn't have the name, didn't have the cover, um, you know, but but I still really liked the story. And but, you know, yeah. it did well. Yeah. Um, I thought the cover was phenomenal. Yeah. I saw that the, the girl on the front with the, you know, the wreckage of the plane. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that looks, you know, we got strong female heroine. Um, you know, it kind of gives you that lost vibe and for everyone who yeah. you know, loved loss, it's just like, yep, sign me up. And I'm, of course I already, I read everything in time travel anyway. So I was already, you had me at time travel. So, um, that was, that was, that was a no brainer for me, but that, I think that cover still holds up incredibly well. Um, yeah. which is good because it's still up on the charts all the time. It's still, you know, you, you had, you haven't had, um, you know, a really diminished point in, in your career that I've noticed anyway. It seems like you've been in like the top 100 the whole time uh, in terms of, you know, your genre authors. Um, and I think that that's, that's a, a testament to the, what you're doing. Obviously, the things you're doing right um, are obviously continuing to, to work for you. Can you tell us a little bit, about, little bit more about this new series, about the, the Long Winter series and, and Winter World and, and this, this trilogy and, and what's different about this one? Yeah, so this, you know, Winter World is, I mean, it's, it's a scientific mystery, sort of like the other series in a sense of, you know, Earth is growing colder, and they know that solar output is falling. But the real question is why, because all the scientists are like, you know, we sort of thought the planet was going to get hotter, and now it's getting colder. And 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 so the sort of, the, the sort of long scientific mystery is, what is happening to our solar system and they send probes out and they discover that there's something, you know, moving towards the sun. And they're not, it's not clear whether this is really connected to what's happening on earth or if it's, you know, remnant of an alien civilization or something, you know, some probe that is watching earth and has, you know, is completely, um, beside the point. And so the sort of arc of the story is the, this group of scientists who are strangers to each other go out and investigate this, this artifact. And, and so, I think what what drew me to the story and what got me excited is, um, you know, this it, it is a large scale mystery, and I think you know to some extent we all feel like we're living on a planet that 
that is fairly unpredictable these days and it's more dangerous than we thought and that you know, the environment that we're in can change just overnight. I mean, this is sort of what COVID feels like, right? And and you don't know, like, you know, in winter world, they're sort of trapped in their homes because of, you know, the winter, this new ice age. And, and the last survivors of humanity are herded into these um, <clears throat> last habitable zones. And so... I don't know. I think it's an interesting story for right now. And, um, and I'll say the science is what really got me started, but the characters really grew on me. And I, I thought the book would be a standalone, but um, turned it into a trilogy and it, it's worked. You know, I, I wasn't really sure if it would, but it has. Yeah. Um, I mean, it sounds, I mean, post-apocalyptic type fiction or pop, I guess just straight apocalyptic in this case. Um, with some, you know, sci-fi elements, obviously, is a very, very popular genre. And anything to do with space, of course, it might, you know, sounds like it might go back to some of your early love of, of uh, space and space fiction. But um, yeah, yeah, I, th- I mean, it's a, it's an incredibly popular genre, and it sounds sounds like a really good read to me personally. Uh, I haven't I haven't read these yet, but uh, I'll have to add them to the list. But um, <laughs> what they're what? in Kindle Unlimited, so you oh, can good. borrow them. There you go. There you go. Deal. Um, what's what's next? Now this is a completed trilogy. There's any no no more in this this series. Yeah, this one's done. I I feel really good about the ending, and I wrote I think it was um, maybe ten thousand words. There was like this expanded epilogue that yeah. you know sort of really I thought was a nice end to the series, but. Um, yeah, I've been. I actually wrote a new book, a, a standalone book that that actually I really like and I think is good. But but it's a post-apocalyptic novel, and I think I actually think it's a little too real to release right now. I, you know, I'd been uh, thinking that it would come out this year, but but I think I'm going to hold it and release it maybe in a few years when it it sort of feels like the right time. But yeah, I'm working on a new series that that I'm fairly excited about. I'm you know it's. Um, I've done a lot of work on it, but a lot more to do. I'm probably not ready to talk about it yet. I'm, I'm the worst at at talking about my work when it's in the early stage. I try to t- tell somebody about it, and it just sounds just <laughs> terrible. Like even as I'm saying it, I hear the words, I'm like, that sounds ridiculous. But well, anyway. I'm one of those people too. Where so it's, it has to percolate for a while, right? It has to like it has to stay in the little oven and 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 go you know, percolate for a bit before it becomes a real story. Right? You have to find the words. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. It seems like you really get into the research aspect. It seems like you really enjoy the science and the, the, the rabbit holes you get to go down in, in terms of uh, studying and, and learning about the, the topics. Is that the case? For sure. I actually think that it helps you a lot if you do, right? Because I think if you don't, it really feels like work. And, you know, for me, it's like, inevitably in the books it's like man here's some something that i think is interesting and i think it's good if that's your guide and then you know when i have to cut parts of that out i'm like ah but that was so good yeah you know? and then it's, but but you have to do it for the sake of the pace of the novel right, or, yeah. it's just like you know no one said anything related to the plot for 30 minutes because they've been talking about climate yeah. you know right. the climate science yeah. and ecosystems and this you know Show, yeah, showing off what you know to the reader is not necessarily good storytelling. 
Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. So we all, and and we most all. people will not be impressed after a certain <laughs> point. But you have to look for something that, that I think is unique or fresh or new enough. You know? yeah. That's another challenge, I think, the research. Yeah. And, you know, it's like Dan Brown does that so well is mm-hmm. you take something that's factual and you, you blend it with fiction. I think that's what mm-hmm. people love. Right? What do you think in terms of craft? Is there something that you're, you're working on right now, um, maybe that you've you know, learned over the years that you're trying to improve on? Well, um, it's all, all the things all the time, you know, with regard to craft. I mean, I, I, I personally think there's some things that I'm never going to be much better at. Like, I've gotten probably as good as I'm ever going to get. But, um, you know, just the writing, the prose, I, mean, I really like the act of writing, and I like putting the sentences together and, and to some extent, rewriting it and making it, making it feel like it, it flows. Um, so that's important to me. I think I probably, in my career, I, I feel like I've gotten better at making characters that are more authentic and, and perhaps more interesting. So, you know, in terms of creating characters and, uh, and how they develop over the course of a book and a series, that's something that I personally am always working on. And, thinking about how to get better at that yeah um i'm curious just like as at this point of success where you are now like looking back on it like how far you've come uh i'm curious sort of what it is that you're most proud of and maybe how that would translate into advice for new readers starting out i would say that i'm most proud of some of the emails i've gotten from readers i mean people say how these books have impacted their life. I and mean, that's something that that I feel really proud of. And I think, you know, it's something, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel very grateful for the career and I'm, I've been surprised and, and thankful for how well the books have done. But, I, you know, I think that's probably, you know, it's like I think about the things I look back on at the end of my life. And I think that's a big part of it. And I, but I think, I guess, some of the things that, if you ask me what helped me the most in the career, it's probably knowing what I wanted out of it and knowing myself to a certain extent. Like I had that a pretty intense you know, career in internet startups and, and in that crucible, you, you kind of discover a lot about yourself. And you know, I, I while I didn't work four years on my first book the way you did, just <laughs> someone might a college degree, but but I worked on it for two and a half years because I. I knew myself, and I knew that if it didn't get traction early, that, that I would get discouraged. And mm-hmm. this is just how I, I lose interest in things that don't, you know, go anywhere. And, um, and, and I think um, I think if you're a new writer and you can figure out all of those things, you know, what do you want from this? Is it, is it a hobby? Is it something you want to be a career? Is it something you really just enjoy the work? Or is it something you have a story to tell i think that's really important and then you know we all have a certain amount of talent right like i think mm-hmm. if you do this say look i'm great at writing dialogue and i'm great at characters and you know, what genres you know does that lend itself to or what what should i be doing right or, or you alternatively you might be good at pacing and plotting or the science and history and, and if you're great at science and history and you know, plot twists and things like that. You know, technical thrills is a great genre. Um, and frankly, it's, it's a little of why I started there because 
I knew when I started I wouldn't be the best at, at dialogue and characters, but I thought I'd get better over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the things I would say to, to new authors. Yeah, and I think that's going to reflect in the writing. The thing that you're passionate about, the thing that you love in this, you know, science and history, is probably your your strongest um, aspect of your books. And um, I mean, having read one of your books, having read I read Departure years ago, and I can definitely you know vouch for that that you're very strong in those areas of saying, okay, this is this is something that that you get a sense of the author's knowledge as you're reading it. You know that you're being taken on a journey. And you're in good hands, you know, in knowledgeable hands, that you're being get, given information. And I think um, in that genre, especially, like when people read Dan Brown's books, they thought, oh, is this, is this real? They start getting confused between fiction and reality and um, you know, start, start associating this as history, even though it is you know, you know, fiction and entertainment. But I think that's a great line to be able to blur. I think that's fantastic if you have those skills to be able to to make people not quite sure as to whether this might be true or not. Um, yeah. it's definitely, definitely a good skill to have. Well, Jerry, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate that you've taken, I know you've been, I've had a busy moving day. You're busy moving into to a new house today and you still managed to take time out of your day to come and hang out with us and, and, and chat. Um, thank you so much for, for being generous with your time. I'm so happy to do it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. For people who are interested in finding out more about your, your different series and uh, more about you in particular, where's the best place for them to reach out and connect with you? Yeah, hgriddle.com. Yeah, website. Okay, all right. Easy, easy peasy. We can do that. And uh, designed by you personally, right? So, <laughs> Unfortunately. <yeah. laughs> all right. Well, thank you, thank you everyone for watching and for listening. This is actually going to be the last episode of 2020. Uh, we hope for, for many better things in, in 2021. Um, but this is, I think this has been a great episode to close out uh, at 2020. So we, we wish everyone a, a very Merry Christmas and, and Happy Holidays. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again um, come, come the new year for, for another great episode. Thank you so much, uh, Jerry, for being here. And uh, so long. <laughs>